It's pretty great. Um, you'll, you'll see all these guys and how amazing they are. And, uh, I don't think it, it doesn't need much introduction. Let's, uh, let's show them. Excellent. Let's show them. Stranger who comes to this village from the sea. He comes in the winter when people are hungry and brings fish. He comes on the king tide. That was last night. Talk. Justice League was definitely not made under the best circumstances. Zach admitted that he did try to go back and work on the film for a little while, but then realized that he was needed at home with his family and made the decision, according to him, to leave the project, which left the studio with a situation of, okay, that's fine, but we still have a movie that needs to get finished, announced at that point they were going to hire Joss Whedon to come in and replace. There was no way that Justice League was going to be able to live up to its iconic characters. And it doesn't. I hear you can talk to fish. Uh, um, these aliens are going to probe him? Like brunch. Like... What is brunch? I didn't bring a sword. Tell me. Do you bleed? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, something is definitely bleeding. This movie feels like it struggles because it aims too low and struggles to do too little. I will say this is the first movie, though, that, uh, that while I was sitting in the movie, I actually was calling everything. Justice League is a mess when it comes to its story. Its story is a mess. It's all over the place. This movie CGI was embarrassing to watch at some points. It looked like a fucking YouTube video production sometimes. It feels like a remarkable step backward for the DCEU, which, given their track record, that's saying something. It was all just cursory white noise. You can feel the Warner Brothers hand kind of dipping into this thing and going, this is what you gotta do with this movie. Keep it short, put more jokes in it, do this, do that. You can feel the corporateness in the film. The story they're fighting through is a mess, and the villain that brings them together is forgettable. I think they had a lot of potential with him, but they didn't make him intimidating, scary, cool, awesome, fun to watch, nothing. There was nothing interesting about that two-dimensional dildo they had on screen as a main villain. But it's just a disappointment to me that Justice League, we finally have it, this big epic team-up that we have been anticipating for years is here. And the word that I have to use to describe it is serviceable. That's a disappointment. It is without a doubt the worst superhero film ever made. When Crisis on Earth X from the CW looks more competently made than Justice League, you know there's a problem. I like watching these movies fuck up and fail every year. It's become a great tradition. I want to see the original cut of this film that Zack Snyder delivered before Warner Brothers was like, let's get Joss Whedon on the phone to fix this. I don't know if it needed to be fixed. And a movement of backlash and fan activism like this one has not only been nearly impossible to ignore, but is demonstrative of the kind of modern-day fandom we've seen everywhere that's seemingly more powerful and weaponized than ever before. Can you make a comic book movie that's very serious and yet somehow still be very entertaining? We live in a society. share your opinion. Warning. Proceeding without caution will bring you into spoiler territory for the media displayed on screen. Timestamps are gifted in the description and comment section. Viewer discretion is advised. 
In 2008, a director by the name of John Favreau would release his fourth full-length movie under the name Iron Man, in which details the origin story of the Marvel comic book superhero Iron Man. And in this movie, there was a post-credit scene that would feature a nod to the superhero alliance, the Avengers. This one movie would result in the beginning of a decade-long cinematic universe, featuring 23 different movies based on different characters, with five of them being based on the Avengers. In 2013, a director by the name of Zack Snyder would release Man of Steel, his take on the DC comic book hero Superman. This movie would be the beginning of DC Cinematic Universe, which would result in seven movies, with the big Justice League movie being the third movie in the series, released only a year after the second one, which was only released three years after the first. Justice League bombed in the box office due to it being a massive mess of a movie. Tone switches everywhere, terrible pacing, and even just down to the color grading being very inconsistent and sometimes really, really disgusting. The failure of this movie was a result of Zack Snyder leaving production due to a tragic family incident, and Warner Brothers bringing in the director of 2014's The Avengers and 2015's Age of Ultron, Joss Whedon, to do some reshoots which would ultimately clash heavily with the tone that Zack Snyder had set. Fans of the Snyderverse were furious and spent four years demanding and protesting for the original cut of Zack Snyder's Justice League, and on May 20th, 2020, the fans were given the best day of their life when HBO and Snyder himself announced that they were going to give them the Snyder Cut. Ten months later, here we are today. The Snyder Cut is out, everybody is talking about it, including your boy, because this is part of my job. Well... My second job that doesn't pay me, at least. But also because I thought, just in general, this could be a pretty interesting review, given how I wasn't really the biggest fan of Batman vs. Superman. And in preparation for this movie, I decided to watch the 2017 Justice League for the first time, and my god, was that a fucking horrible experience. So everyone knew that the Snyder Cut would be objectively a better movie, because you can only go up when all you got is this fucking shit. But how better could it possibly be? Personally, I was one of those people that just didn't think it was going to be that great, that it would probably be just as bad as Batman vs. Superman, or even worse, given how this was going to be four fucking hours long. But instead, Snyder was able to prove me wrong. So let's talk about that by going over all seven parts of the movie, giving my thoughts on them, and then talking about the movie as a whole. <laughs> The movie starts off with the ending of Batman vs Superman, showing the death of Superman, and one thing that I thought was neat about this whole opening was that it sounds like Superman's scream of death is being played while it's showing you Cyborg's apartment, the creation of Steppenwolf, Atlantis, and Paradise Island. Kind of as a, the death of Superman heard across the world feature. We then get shown the Mother Box's awakening, and after that is shown of Bruce traveling across the mountains to get to where Aquaman lives. Already this movie is making far more sense than the 2017 Justice League. The opening of that movie showed Bruce being Batman and then follows up with Batman with a full beard and then he shaves because when they did reshoots to half-ass explain everything, they didn't fucking even bother with continuity or just explaining shit. Meanwhile, this movie has our first appearance of Bruce being him traveling the mountain, so it makes more sense why he would have a full beard. And also, they explain the fact that he traveled the mountains. So Bruce, being the playboy millionaire he is, he can't use one of the 17 planes that he has. Also, I am so fucking glad that Cigarettes Everybody Knows isn't in here. That shit sound like the sequel to Ruth B's Lost Boy, and I hated it so fucking much. 
Anyways, Bruce is here, so that leads us into... Part 1 shows us Bruce trying to get to Aquaman in the Justice League and failing. Martha Kent losing her home, which I don't think was ever shown in the 2017 cut. Or if it was, it was so fucking short that I just genuinely can't remember it. I mean, still, that resulted in the final scene making no fucking sense at all. At least to me. We get the introduction of Wonder Woman, and it's not that different from the 2017 cut. Aside from adding some scenes and extending others, which... Yeah, makes it better, because it shows Wonder Woman being badass. You also get introduced to Wonder Woman's new theme, and while I like the orchestral remix of her BVS theme that was used in the 2017 cut... God fucking damn, is this one just a power anthem? shown the Amazons trying to protect the mother box from Steppenwolf, and my fucking god is it so much better in here than it was in 2017. I think it has to do with how much of a fucking beast Steppenwolf is now. Dude's throwing horses, breaking arrows by flexing his arms, beating women like a true gamer, and you really get the sense that the Amazons are a family that will stick together until the very end. I find the constant trading off between them trying to keep the mother box away from Steppenwolf to be far more entertaining in here. This was one of the first moments in the movie where I I thought, do, do I, do I like this movie? Also, we're already half an hour into the movie. It doesn't feel like it's been half an hour in, but we're already here. And it hasn't felt like it's been rushed to shit or slowed the fuck down, so that's, that's pretty nice. Anyways, we end off part one with the Amazons planning on alerting Wonder Woman, and even in the 2017 cut, I like the line that they have. Men won't know what it means. Men won't. She will. Part 2 shows Steppenwolf setting up base and eventually learning out why he's invading Earth. See, in the 2017 cut, it's kind of explained that Steppenwolf tried to take over Earth, failed, and now he's back for revenge like any run-of-the-mill villain. In here, Steppenwolf is actually here because he has to take over 50,000 worlds to pay his debts off to Darkseid. Though, we're shown that Lex Luthor was creating or birthing Steppenwolf in the beginning, and I'm not fully sure why he's specifically going after Mother Boxes if all he has to do is pay off his debts. Unless he's finding the Mother Boxes thinking that it could pay off his debt alone, but if that's the case... How would he have known the mother boxes were exactly here? It's weird. Anyways, Wonder Woman is alerted about the invasion on Paradise Island and eventually finds the markings of Darkseid and the mother boxes. We get the second introduction of Aquaman, showing off him doing Aquaman things, including littering. And then he has a conversation with Willem Dafoe about having to be the king of Atlantis, but not wanting to. And then off part two, we're given Diane explaining to Bruce the mother boxes. Something so simple as keeping Diane and Bruce in the room they met up in makes this scene so much better. It was kind of weird having Bruce, like, Working really hard on trying to get someone to start, Diane break his security to get in, and then they just go on a walk around the river and talk about the world almost ending. It feels so... unnatural. Unlike in here, where they just stay in that room, and Diane explains the mother boxes and Earth being invaded, while Bruce is just still working on his ship. And we also get a small moment where Diane brings up the mother boxes, and the story stops 
for Bruce to just be like, the fuck is a mother box? And then Diane explains. I like that moment. It felt natural and like how people would interact. We also find out that the person who invaded Earth wasn't Steppenwolf, but was Darkseid. Which even that feels better because they explain that Earth was the first time Darkseid was defeated and he holds his anger towards that and it's brought up and explained further on later in the movie, giving this whole fight sequence more of a purpose. To be honest, even in the 2017 cut, I kind of felt like that fight sequence felt really unnecessary and it was just something to show on screen while they had Diane talking, because it just looks like the world defending itself from yet another generic villain. But in here, it's not the world defending itself from a generic villain. It's the world defending itself against a dude who has taken over thousands of other worlds and becoming the first one to ever defeat him, which has that much harder impact. Part 3 begins the introduction of the Flash, showing him trying to get a job and then using his powers to save a girl from dying. The whole... saving scene feels really... creepy. Because it's played off as Flash saving the love of his life, but... He literally just met her five minutes ago when they, they, they don't even know their own names. They are complete strangers and you got Flash staring deep into her eyes and while she's slowly flying into the pavement. I mean... I guess I'll take some slow motion rapey vibes over... Whatever the fuck this was. Yeah, in hindsight, this isn't a surprise. Moving on, part three is also the part when we start learning more about Cyborg, his origin story, and why he's so upset with the world. And just like everything else with this movie, it's so much better than the 2017 cut. When walking into the Snyder Cut, I didn't give a single fucking shit about Ray Fisher's Cyborg. And to be honest, he was the thing I was dreading to see in this movie. And hearing that he was going to have a bigger motive in this was one of the things that I was really not looking forward to in here. Because every performance of Cyborg that I've heard or seen that isn't Carrie Payton has just been really shit. The Atlantean tech will see them coming from half a world away, Mr. President. And I just did not want to deal with this one. And then by the first flashback, my entire mind was changed. I actually enjoyed seeing Cyborg on screen and seeing his past and... I actually felt sympathetic for him. So yeah, needless to say, the Snyder Cut fixed Ray Fisher's cyborg, and while he's still no Kerry Payton, I still enjoyed him on screen and his character a lot more than before. I also just want to mention that Cyborg looks like this. And it's so fucking... Wait, hold on. Hold on. I, I have someone better for this. Yo, Beauty, I got something to show you. Really? You, you're not gonna say anything? What do you mean? He looks like Iron Man. Aren't you, aren't you gonna complain that he looks like Iron Man? He's, he, you, do, you do it a lot with Batman. Listen, I just wanna see underwear over tights. I'm highly disappointed. We're then shown Flash again, and once again, he makes sense. The whole scene where he's talking to his dad in jail never made any fucking sense to me in the 2017 cut, because honestly, I had no idea who this dude was. I, I think at one point I genuinely thought he, he was his brother or some shit, and then they never even bothered explaining why he was in jail in the first place, and if they did, they did a really bad job, because uh, it wasn't until seeing this movie that I understood why. 
and it makes everything make more sense, and the ending montage a lot better when Barry shows up and shows him that he got the job that he's been trying to get. Then we get the infamous scene between Bruce and Barry, and there's, luckily, no rant about brunch. But, there's still Rick and Morty! Yeah, a lot of the Flash jokes I think were done by Zack. Well, obviously with the exception of that. But because they were received so badly, I think Zack just went through and got rid of them. Which I'm glad, because to be honest, I didn't really hate the Flash in the 2017 cut. I thought he did have his humorous scenes. You must be Barry. I'm Diana. Hi, Barry. I'm Diana. That's not right. But it was when they just would be extended out and he was just taking up all the time instead of just being a one-off background joke was when I thought they were really fucking horrendous. And thankfully, they've pretty much all been cut out. I except for his intro scene. Yeah, that, that's, that, that, those, those jokes are pretty, pretty, pretty bad. I'm so sorry I'm so late. I didn't mean to be so late. I'm me and I'm here and I'm so sorry I'm late. Essentially, the bus didn't come, then the bus did come, but then there was this old woman counting change for the fare, like nickel, penny, nickel, penny. Like, geez, Louise, let this woman on the bus. She's 107 years old. These are some of her last few moments of life. Resume. Resume. From the French, of course. Resume, I believe, the past participle of, I mean, it's like, what lives in my pocket, right? Paper monster hungry. Oh, gosh, I hope everyone's okay. See, in times of crisis, for dog work, I always bring a meat snack, because it makes them feel calm, because you never know what's going to happen in this city. I mean, oh, my gosh, right? I start on Monday. We also get a scene between Diane and Alfred, which was nice. Gail and Jeremy have pretty good chemistry, and I will never pass up on any scenes with Jeremy Irons Alfred, because goddamn do I love him. The whole cyborg talking through computer text has been cut out as well, and instead, when him and Diane meet, he just comes flying in, says fuck the world, then leaves. Which, I don't know, I guess I'll take it over the original. We end part three with Steppenwolf redeeming himself as the true king of the movie by throwing Amber Heard into a wall, choking her, and then yeeting her into the ground. Ten out of ten, you drop this king. Part 4 starts off strong with showing the team meeting up with Commissioner Gordon and the movie getting rid of Danny Elfman's theme. I did not like the use of the 1989 theme in the 2017 cut because it just felt lazy. It felt like they didn't want to go through the work trying to come up with their own Batman theme, so let's just use this iconic theme. Everyone would love it. It also comes off very nostalgia baity. Like how Rise of Skywalker reused a lot of the original trilogy scores as a way of, hey, you remember this? Of course you do. That makes us good, right? Because it reminds you of better times? Of course. The Snyder Cut at least has the decency to give Batfleck his own theme, which is all I ask for, because every incarnation of Batman has his own theme. The only time I ever want to hear Danny Elfman's theme in a Batman movie is if Michael Keaton's Batman is on screen. Which means if Michael Keaton is in the Flash movie, then that gives them the perfect right to use it only when Michael Keaton shows up. Anyways, now we got the Gotham Harbor fight. Not much has really changed other than, you know, the addition of a couple new scenes that explain more and the group attacking Steppenwolf head-on instead of just fucking around. When Flash says, I've never done battle. I've just pushed some people and run away. Is that from your cut? What the fuck? But the thing that I was looking forward to the most in this scene, and the one thing I really wanted to see in this movie, was Batman helping Flash. I 
absolutely fucking love this scene. It is easily the best scene in the entire 2017 cut because of how immensely fucking stupid and useless it was. And I had no idea if this was a Joss Whedon thing or if it was in the original, and when walking into the Snyder Cut, the only question I wanted to be answered is if this scene is here. And it is, baby! And it's extended! Let's go! Not only do you get to see the beauty of Batman huddling over to grab Flash's waist and walk off with him, but you also get the added artistry of seeing Batman hobble away. This extension alone turns a 10 out of 10 scene into a 20 out of 10 scene. Nothing else can beat this. This movie has peaked. Everything that happens from this point on is just gravy. So after the textbook definition of exquisite, we get the Justice League figuring out how they're going to be able to defeat Steppenwolf and close the Mother Boxes, and they come to the conclusion that the Mother Boxes opened because Superman died, so in order to close them, Superman needs to be alive. And while this still can come off as, oh shit, how the fuck can I write a story about Superman, uh, uh, fuck, 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 I uh, fuck, I can't, I, I, mm, uh, fuck. Fuck it, we'll just bring him back to life. It's still a better reason given for it to happen than in the 2017 cut, which... To be honest, did they ever explain anything in that movie? I, I don't think they did. Part 4 ends with Martha showing up to Lois's house and convincing her to go back to her job, and then is revealed that Martha is actually Martian Manhunter, which, honestly, was kind of disappointing. I like the whole thing of Martha and Lois grieving together over the death of Clark, and the fact that this whole scene took place with it not even being Martha makes things... Kinda not makes sense. How does he know why Martha got kicked out? How does he know that she did get kicked out? Also, this means that Martian knows that Clark is Superman. I mean, to be honest, I know nothing about Martian Manhunter or his character. Not even in this universe, but just in general. I didn't even know he was a thing until I saw Mr. Sunday Movie's Caravan of Garbage on Batman vs. Superman. So maybe these questions are easily answered to people who know the character, or maybe they were answered to Man of Steel, which is a movie I haven't watched. Which, if it's answered to Man of Steel, that's my bad. If these questions are only to be answered by knowing the character in the comics... I think that's kind of fucking stupid, but I digress. All in all, this scene was pretty dope emotionally, but the reveal that it was Manhunter instead of Martha kind of ruins any impact it made for me. Part 5 shows the revive of Superman, and as usual in this movie, it's done far better. Speaking of Caravan of Garbage, they brought up a pretty good point about the grave digging scene. Cyborg and Flash decide they have to dig up Clark <laughs> in real time at regular speed. Yeah. There's a clock ticking, guys, come on. Flash, you you dig him up super speed, Cyborg, you can say a prayer. Yeah. And it's all worked out. And this movie almost immediately makes reference to that. You know we could do this in a nanosecond, right? We could. I don't know, I just thought it was nice seeing the movie be self-aware for a moment. Diane and Arthur share a nice moment throughout the grave robbing, then we're off to go bring Superman back from the dead. There's this really nice and dope moment where they show up to where Victor's dad works, and they hack the place and make everyone think that there's a threat and need to get out. And Victor's dad figures out that it's fake and tries to bring everyone back in. And at that moment, he sees the Justice League walk by, and he and Victor just lock eyes. And then he calls out the plan and tells them that it's real, and the only thing Victor and his dad says is nothing. They just nod their heads and walk in opposite directions. It was just nice seeing that moment of a father going to lengths of lying just for his son to do something in secret. Resurrecting Superman goes over roughly the same, just extended scenes explaining things better and a bit more dialogue, all that usual shit. We also see Cyborg have visions of the Nightmare of the World, which was 
kind of cool, but also on at the same time. Oh yeah, also Lois is completely independent when getting to that location. So her meeting up with Clark and calming him down makes so much more sense than Bruce just being like, Alfred, I need the big gun. And then just shows up. But instead, she just sees her dead husband back to life and is full of shock when she shows up and then that calms him down and they escape together, which the Justice League then uses that experience as a way of explaining that Clark is still Clark and he's not fully evil. Victor's dad also kills himself, but not actually. He just puts himself in the mother box, making it give off a heat signal so then the team could find it and find out where Steppenwolf is. Again, making more sense than the 2017 cut and actually explaining to us how the heroes get to where they need to be. Part 6 is where the movie all comes together. We get Clark gaining his memory back and becoming Superman again with the inclusion of the black suit, which looks pretty cool in here. We get the team invading Steppenwolf's base and once again actually explain shit. Speaking of caravan of garbage earlier, they also brought up this. He assembles the team and he gets them together and he's like, Get ready for my plan. You guys all wait here and I'm gonna fly the ship in alone. You've assembled the team! That's what the team's for, idiot! Yeah, it makes no fucking sense, but in the Snyder Cut, we actually see why Bruce flew off, because he was trying to break open the force field and let him and the team get in. We then get to see the team separately get through the base and to Steppenwolf, and then Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Cyborg take turns beating the shit out of him while Batman tries to take out the Parademons, and Flash is trying to create enough energy to prevent Steppenwolf's plan. And then Superman shows up, and it is so insanely great. For dark side. For a man who doesn't really care about Superman, I was so hyped during this. It was so fucking dope. And then this movie does yet another pretty cool thing, and it has the heroes lose. After all their hard work and spending almost three and a half hours in real time watching them build up to this moment, they lose. They're defeated. The portal's open. Darkseid can just walk through and end up on Earth. It's a heartbreaking moment, and the movie spends the right amount of time letting us sit through seeing this catastrophic failure before eventually Flash breaks his rule, reverses time, and we get to see the heroes win. It's overall a fantastic climax to the movie and makes the final scene with them all standing together be pretty satisfying. And then we're given the epilogue, showing the team going on with their own personal business and ending on the nightmare sequence. The second scene that I was looking the most forward to seeing, for one reason only. Jared Leto's Joker. Now, in my Joker ranking, Jared Leto was at the bottom because his performance was just absolute dog shit, but I still mentioned that I thought he could have had something. The ending scene in Suicide Squad is pretty good for the most part, and his look could have been better if he got rid of the tattoos and the grill. And then, we found out that his Joker was gonna be in this movie with a different look. And then we saw the look. And yeah, the look is better. It's not great, but it's an improvement. But I still wanted to see the performance. I wanted to see if he could take the criticism from Suicide Squad and decide to go a different direction. And to be honest, it wasn't looking like he was going to. And then the trailer dropped. On my birthday, in fact, which was kind of neat. And we got the reveal of the new Joker, and it gave me a little bit of faith. He actually sounded like he improved a lot, and all that was left was the laugh. Welp, throw all that shit out the window because Jared Leto is still pretty much the Suicide Squad performance with the occasional highlight and the laugh still sounds like a dying penguin. Uh, 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 
but even then, I still enjoyed the scene. Jared has this one moment where he tries to sound like Heath Ledger and it works. How many alternate timelines do you destroy the world? Because, frankly, you don't have the colonies to die yourself. So as usual, I'll be the bigger man. A truce, Bruce. He also talks about giving Batman a hand job. Who's gonna give you a reach around? And you, you would think I would fucking hate that, but I don't know. For some reason, it gives me a laugh. Even the edginess of Batman saying, I made a mistake, I will fucking kill you. Wasn't that bad? This whole scene just wasn't that bad. It's not the greatest Batman Joker scene. D definitely not. Th the fact that this tweet exists upsets me because this shit exists. But it was an overall still pretty entertaining scene. Even if I was a bit disappointed by Jared's performance and the fact that the killing of Dick Grayson isn't really explained like Zack said it would be. And then we close out the movie with Bruce talking about Martian and the scene is the only time I've ever thought that Affleck could act. Overall, this movie surprised me in pretty much every way possible. There were multiple moments where I was caught off guard at the fact that I was actually enjoying myself while watching this. I genuinely thought that this was going to be suffering, especially given the four-hour runtime, but it wasn't. And in the slightest. And to comment on the four-hour runtime, this shit does not feel like four hours at all. It actually feels a lot shorter than that. 2017 Justice League was two hours long, but it felt like I had sat in my chair for a week, and then I realized I was still only an hour into the movie. The Snyder Cut is double the length, but it's paced so well and actually has a lot of enjoyable moments that it felt more like I was binge-watching a season of a TV show than watching a four-hour movie. It's it's funny, with film series, if you say, oh, there's 35 movies in a film series, it's like, that seems like so much fucking time. But then you think, if you told me there were 35 episodes of a TV show, I would, I would sit and watch it. Or even, yeah, uh, I guess a fair comparison, assuming most of these movies are around 90 minutes, uh, less than 70 episodes of yeah. a TV series, then that's... It's totally doable. That's totally doable. You know? And I think that also has to do with the parts. The movie being split into pretty much eight parts helps a lot because it gives that sense of just watching a TV show. Sitting through four hours of this is no different than sitting through, say, four straight hours of ReZero. Well, besides the five minutes of the same McDonald's ad. The movie still has its problems, but I've always said that I can look over bad shit if there's enough good shit that I liked. And this is one of those cases. There's just so much in this movie that I enjoyed and had a lot of fun with that when it does have its moments of boredom or cringe or annoyance or just plain dog shit, they don't impact the movie by a lot because there's still those moments of immense entertainment that can still carry this movie. And that is why I, just like every other reviewer, give the Snyder Cut a 7 out of 10. By the way, can we stop trying to restore the Snyderverse? I'm getting real fucking sick and tired of y'all's stupidity. You have an even lesser to impossible chance of this happening because even Zack Snyder himself has said that he doesn't want to continue this universe anymore and he just wants to go do the other ideas that he has. I mean, there's a possibility that maybe in the future Zack just goes, eh, I guess I can make Justice League 2. But for fuck's sake, can you stop fucking trying to boycott WB? They have even less of a say in this because of the fact that Snyder himself doesn't want to do this. Come on. 
How am I smarter than you guys? I don't even like Snyder. It's the same case of like, oh, Ben Affleck should be Batman. He doesn't want to be Batman anymore. They had to fucking suffer trying to get him in the Flash. I don't like Ben Affleck's Batman. I don't like Zack Snyder's movies other than this. Why the fuck do I know this shit? But you guys don't. It, it fucking baffles me. Now shut the fuck up and stream Batman 22 when it's released. Goodbye.